what are we what are we talking about today, Heather? Not that I'm prepared with anything or anything <laughs> like that. Well, boils and ghouls. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Under the Pendulum. And we're talking Tales from the Crypt today. Oh, we are talking turkey <laughs> tales from the crypty. <laughs> I'm here with Caitlin Weber in Los Angeles. Yeah, hello, it's hot. <laughs> <laughs> and I, of course, am Heather Weber. Oh, hi, Heather. Nice hi. to meet you. Nice to see you again. I heard about you. <laughs> Chris is on the road again with M taking a road trip. And I think, you know, last time we did this was around the same time of year. Mm-hmm. On the road again. Just can't <laughs> wait to get on the road again. They're at the family reunion. Oh, my God. So jealous. Ugh. I know. I, I really wish it. we have a very not 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 too much TMI, but we have a very wonderful large family with amazing people. So yes, it's always huge. so fun to huge. <laughs> always so fun to see them though. Everybody's yeah. and it's it's cooler as we get older because all the cousins are becoming more and more interesting and you mm-hmm. know developed and amazing. So I love it. I'll have to yeah, go. I'll have to plan to go next time for sure. I know. Yeah, I want to make it. Within the next yeah. couple of years, for sure. Yeah, definitely. But anyway, that's too wholesome. We got to get into the nitty gritty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and as, as we've mentioned many times here on the show, this is one of our favorite shows between all three of us. Truly. <laughs> so Kate and I have picked a couple more episodes to talk about. Mm-hmm. And instead of giving a brief history of the production to begin with this time, I'm going to open with a little bit of trivia. Fun! I love trivia! (laughs) But if you do want to learn more of that kind of info, uh, check out episode 38, where we talk about EC Comics and the Tales from the Crypt Origins. Yeah, Doc. Check it out. So I'm just going to, I'm going to present these to you in question form, see see what you come up with. Oh, good! Yay! (laughs) First one's pretty easy. Do I wait, wait? Hold on. Do I win a washing machine or a car or anything? Um, we can talk about that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I found this old boot in the alley. Here you go. <laughs> yeah, that's about the caliber of item I'll be able to offer you. <laughs> <laughs> so, question one. Okay. Was the Crypt Keeper's house CGI or practical? Practical it was a miniature, right? Well, it's a little bit of both. So, oh, because that's when, because that's when it's the best when they work together. You know, that's right. <laughs> mm-hmm. So the introduction sequence that started every episode through the Crypt Keeper's home was actually the size of a miniature golf course, like green. Really? Yeah. Oh, 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 oh. And small snorkel cameras were used to film this portion. Now oh, the descent killer. into the crypt at the end of the introduction was CGI. With those columns with the faces on it. Oh, yeah. You know, I thought that when I when you, you mentioned that, I was like, oh, totally. It's got to be that. Yeah. yeah. Wow. How cool. I know. I was almost there. That was like that was like a, a trick question. It there, was a trick question. Me. I know. That's kind of mean to start off with that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm such a scallywag. You stinker. <laughs> so question two. What other famous voice actors auditioned for the Crypt Keeper? Was it Cat Goldfunk then? Something? That comedian? Bobcat Goldthwait? I didn't see his name on there. Okay. I started to watch a documentary and he was there a bunch and I was like, oh, was he supposed to do something? Hmm. Okay. Okay. Wait, let me just get one more guess here. He auditioned for it? 
Yeah. Or or they wanted. Okay. Who who did Chucky's voice? That guy, the scary uh, was one. Was it Brad Dorif? I. That's it. That's the guy. I doubt it, but that's the only guess I got. Mm. No. Was it was it Brad Pitt? No. <laughs> that would Tom be Hanks. Tom Hanks. <laughs> a very different show. <laughs> So John Kassir famously killed his audition, and he was basically hired immediately. Oh, yeah. But actors who also auditioned were Charles Fleischer, who voiced Roger Rabbit, and Michael Winslow from The Police Academy, the guy who does all the crazy sound effects. Whoa. Yeah. That would have been so interesting. I know. Huh. Do you imagine a Roger Rabbit crypt keeper? Police! Oh, no, I hate it. No. Yeah. Like, I mean, the Crypt Keeper, like, if if you're talking about, like, something, like, being beautiful and sound, it's, like, he he not only, like, bridges the gap between, like, a male and female and, like, kind of sounds witchy and, like, androgynous in that way. It's just perfect. I love it. Yeah, he did such a fantastic job. Yeah, yeah. That's a good trivia. (laughs) Question three. Oh, there's another one. Yay. Yeah, there's a there's a few more. Okay. So why does the Crypt Keeper have a more subdued presence during the first season? I'm going to guess that maybe the animatronic or puppeteering wasn't up to specs or something. Something to do with the physical object. Perfect. Yes. Oh, okay. Sweet. So according to John Kassir in the first season, he had to do his lines slowly because the show's production didn't have a big enough budget for the Crypt Keeper's mouth to move more quickly. Wow, did not know that. That's super interesting. Yeah, you got it right yeah. on the money, though. It's it's, it's being in the movies. That's, that's you get, yep. get holdbacks, you know. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was interesting. I thought it was a uh, yeah, a choice, but nope. Wow, he was always meant to be sassy. Yes, and he's a star, and they they hungered for him, so they got that shit working. Those jowls working. <laughs> <laughs> Get that trap working. (laughs) (laughs) So next question. How many puppeteers did it take to operate the Crypt Keeper? (sighs) This is going to be a tricky one. I'm going to say three or four. Well, it was four alone just for his facial expressions, but it was actually six total. That makes sense because they got to, I mean, they got to do the body and then they've got to operate the animatronics and and things like that. Wow, so six total? Yeah, that's insane. That's fabulous. I love it. I do too. It's wonderful. I thought that was cool. (laughs) Yes. So, uh, next question. What iconic horror character shares a facial feature with the Crypt Keeper? Girl, you know I know this. Chucky. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I tell people that sometimes, and usually it's like, just falls on deaf ears. They're like, huh. Oh, that's great. <laughs> and like the other day I like said to a friend, I was like, I was just quiet. I was like, do you ever think of animals that kill for fun, for fun? <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, okay, weirdo. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm just going over here. <laughs> yeah, so the Crypt Keeper designer, Kevin Yager, uh, he incorporated the eyes of Chucky from Child's Play, another creation he designed. Love it. Into the Crypt oh, Keeper. I thought, I didn't know that was a design thing. I thought I that either. perhaps they just uh, auction, you know, like when productions end, they buy things and like it's reused and stuff like that. That happens yeah. all the time. Yeah, I yeah. didn't know it was the same dude. That's pretty cool. Wow, very cool. So there's two more left. 
Yay, this is such a good idea. Good thinking, stinking. <laughs> so how many versions of each episode were filmed? How many versions of each episode? Like, um, do you mean for, like, time and um, for, for cable or, mm -hmm. like, oh, I forget that they do that. Um, I know they do that with reality shows, but I'm surprised they did it for this. Yeah. I, I would... I would say, I want to say three, like, making sense, but I'd say just two, because that's a lot of, that's a lot of money. You're right. Okay. Two versions of every episode were filmed for broadcasting syndication. The toned-down versions mainly consist of the removal of profanity, gore, and nudity. Oh, I bet they did that a lot back then. I bet they even did that with, like, Twin Peaks and, like, yeah. um, X-Files. And stuff like that. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. That's so interesting. I didn't know that. But you kind of like, every once in a while, you like watch something. And you're like, oh, that's not the same as what I remember. I don't remember it that way. Yeah. I I had noticed that too. And I was like, was I fucking dreaming? Like, but no, it's, yeah. it's because there are two versions of it. I thought that was insane. That is a lot of work. <laughs> that's a lot of work. And the, it's usually about budget, mostly when it comes down to it. Yeah. Like, just getting it right one time is, is hard enough. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I can't imagine. I thought that was insane for, like, just a TV show. Wow, cool. Yeah. Last question. Okay. Oh, I can't wait for, I can't wait for this boot that I'm going to get. I'm going to put flowers <laughs> in it. It's going to be really stinky. <laughs> Yay! Yeah. <laughs> So what famous characters did John Kassir base the Crypt Keeper's voice on? Oh, man. Their characters and uh, personalities. Good question. Wow. I want to say, first thing that comes to mind, only because I don't know too much else, it's got to be from the old radio shows. Like, maybe something like that, like The Witch's Tale or whatever. Um, it's in the same ballpark for sure. Really? One of them. Yeah. Man. Really famous. Like, iconic, iconic character from around that time. Like, possibly the most famous villain of all time in film. Oh, my God. <sighs> most famous villain of, like, the 30s and 40s, you mean? Or 20s, even. Oh, um, no... I was going to say the Wizard of Oz, the witch. Yep. Margaret Hamilton is one of them. No shit. Yep. That's crazy. Wow. And the other two are Henry Youngman, who I'm not familiar with, and Alfred Hitchcock. Oh, my God. With all the puns, the cornucopia of puns <laughs> all the fucking time. Is that what it was? And probably the, the English accent, too, I'm guessing. Oh, my God. That's so cute. I love that. Oh, my I know, God. I, I love. <laughs> it's great. I just I remember you showing me Hitchcock Presents when we lived together years ago. Yeah. And like how we would just crack up at the intros because he he's got like a he's like B word fat where he <laughs> <laughs> where you could tell he's fat by the way he talks. I know. And there was so much contempt for the fact he was on TV. <laughs> he's like, oh. Here's another advertisement for something you surely need. 
Definitely. <laughs> I remember my favorite was like two sisters and it was like his intro was something about cooking. He's like, now for this delectable dish of terror. Like something like that. <laughs> and he's wearing a fucking chef's hat and he's so serious <laughs> and it's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah. It's good to laugh at his expense. He was an asshole. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. If you ever, I will say, if you ever come out to visit at the Academy Museum where I just was for the last unicorn, yeah. they have a bunch of like um, Hitchcock's uh, notes and storyboard artist stuff for like oh, okay. Psycho and stuff like that. It's amazing. And Rear Window, all that. Oh, that's so cool. Dude, It's it was, I was like, <gasps> <laughs> Yeah. Hell yeah. Well, that was a great fucking idea, Heather. That was so Aww, fun. Thanks. I was just going to do some fun facts, and Kale's like, do trivia. It's like, ah, great yeah, idea. Yeah, trivia is fun, because then yeah. everybody, they, like, our audience can play along, and they can be shouting out in their car and, and saying, I'm stupid, or I'm really smart, <laughs> but, you know. Or, wow, I don't care at all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, without further ado, should we get on to our episodes? Yes, that sounds great. Would you like to go first? Sure, I can go first. Okay. All right. So I'm going to do Judy, You're Not Yourself Today. It's from Season 2, Episode 11, aired June 12, 1990. And it's from the original comic Tales from the Crypt, number 25, the August-September issue, 1951. Oh, my God. I'm so excited. (laughs) So um, there's a couple of big names in this. Well, big-ish. I don't know. Isn't it crazy? Like, there are so many big names in Tales from the Crypt. It was, like, the thing to do. I know. It's it's really cool. It's like the hot ones of the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> but it's actual theater. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad I got you at that one. Yeah. <laughs> so this episode was directed by Randa Haynes. I'm not familiar with any of her work. I kind of looked into what she did and no clue. But uh, the cast is Carol Kane, plays uh-huh. Judy. She's from Scrooged, Adam's Family Values, and When a Stranger Calls. Oh my God, she was a fucking knockout too. She's like, there's all these 70s pictures with her big curly hair and she looks like Stevie Nicks or something. Yeah. Oh my God. She, she was very a beauty. beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Frances Bay plays the witch and Frances Bay is the is grandma from Happy Gilmore and she has done tons of shows. Have you seen Happy Gilmore recently? No. I'm sure I'll recognize her face Oh yeah. though. She was like the quintessential 90s old lady. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'll have to know then. So Brian Kerwin plays Donald. He was in the movie Jack with Robin Williams. And then he's done tons of TV shows. The episode opens with the Crypt Keeper getting a blood facial. How LA. I know. (laughs) He's got like a mask of blood on him. It's all gross and shiny. You know, 5,000 a pop is fine. (laughs) He must have treasure down there as well. (laughs) And he says... Oh, hello there, Fright fans. I've just been sitting here waiting for my blood pack to harden. My cosmetologist said I was starting to look a little lifeless. Oh, Rip Peeper, no. (laughs) 
Then he pulls off his mask and he says, Much better, eh? Which reminds me, tonight's Poison Parable is about a couple who take their appearance very seriously. Needless to say, they end up going to try to save face. I call this one, Judy, you're not yourself today. Jesus Christ, that was so chock full of puns. I know, it's amazing. (laughs) It's like a fucking hundred grand bar or something, it's just full of nougat goodness. Man, I and I've tried to like rack my brain to come up with my own and it's just we've it's talked hard. about this before. It's so hard. Oh yeah. I know. We've tried on like Christmas Eve or whatever. Like, Many can't times. Think of anything. Yeah. <laughs> More times than anyone should. It's a good game, you guys. You should try it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so the story begins with a close up shot of a painting of a Victorian hunting scene. Nice. And the score is Really annoying, like a lot of the times in Tales from the Crypt fashion. Nice accordion and piano. Oh, very cheap, very last minute kind of scoring. Yes, yes, yes. absolutely. <laughs> so the opening is just panning shots of antique porcelain figurines of all kinds cluttering the shelves. And it's really cheesy collectibles everywhere. But like, okay. you can tell it's expensive. So we open up with Donald, who is pointing and cocking a shotgun. And he brings it to the kitchen table. And Judy's sitting at the table in the morning with a tea and cake. She's got this, like, little teacup and saucer. And she's, like, real rich lady done up, just ready to take on the day, no matter what comes her way. Yes. (laughs) So the doorbell rings, and Donald takes his gun with him to answer it. And when he opens the door, he points the gun at the gentleman there who is canvassing for an anti-gun organization. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah, Donald's a gun nut. I think it's pretty apparent very early on. So Judy comes to the door, and she tries to neutralize the situation, but Donald is being a dick, and he, like, points the gun at her head. And then she's like, All right, just have a nice day, sir. Oh, my God, I can hear her voice in my head. Yeah. So she goes inside and she looks in the hall mirror and says her wrinkles are caused by stress because her husband points a gun at her head. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, he's he's an asshole. Like, I guess I like the ones with really dickheadish men. I was going to say, I was like, you you get fired up and you remember it. You want to talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) And they, like, start to have an argument because he wants to smoke inside and she says he can't. And he wants to wave his gun around and he says, she says, no. But, like, somehow it makes her hot at the same time. He also wants to piss in the sink, and she doesn't like that either. (laughs) It's really weird, their dynamic, because, like, she gets mad at him, and then she's like, oh, you're so attractive. Oh, yeah. I know. Girl, I I, I smell what she's stepping in. I like the evil ones, but the (laughs) evil ones are evil ones for a reason, and they're mean. (laughs) But it's all like, I'm the same, unfortunately. Yeah, it's like. You look like you're gonna. You're about to press the fucking ticking time bomb, but it's so hot. But oh, <laughs> yeah. If you're waving a gun around, I'm not so sure. That's that's just oh, not no. for me. Yeah, no. I um... love that journey for her, but <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> Donald leaves the house. Um, I don't remember what he's going to go do, but she's Judy's at home by herself, and she hears the doorbell ring, so she goes to answer it. And it is a fabulous older lady who claims she's selling cosmetics. Uh, she's dressed to the nines, too, like this red blazer, 
tons of costume jewelry, little hat. Really cute. Oh, shit, I can't wait to watch it. <laughs> so the lady starts to pick apart the state of Judy's skin um, and says her products are only for a select clientele. She's giving her the old bait and switch, though. It's a sales tactic for sure. Yeah, totally. Snake oil, but on face. Yeah. So Judy's like, oh, my God, I have to have it. You don't have to, like, put it on the books. I can pay you in cash. I need your products. So she brings the old lady inside, and she's admiring her jewelry. And she has her eye on the biggest, most god-awful pendant I've ever seen in my life. It's like this white oval cabochon with, like, cascading iridescent beads around it it's just terrible man that sounds like the jewelry at that like leading up to that time too are you just like i know people are into it and it's really interesting pieces of art but man ugly is ugly yeah it's bad (laughs) (laughs) i mean i understand like you could probably put it with an outfit and make it look kind of cool and people would be like wow but it's it's bad Okay, I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait to judge these people. (laughs) So, you know, after Judy's admiring this pendant, the old lady tells her to try it on. It'll look great on you. You know. Let's do it. So she does. But when Judy's admiring her own pendant, you see that the old lady has one, like, on her again. Like, (gasps) it just kind of duplicated. So... The pendant starts to glow this, like, bright green color. Oh, shit. Yep. And Judy's like, oh, oh, my God. And then they switch bodies. Oh, no. Yeah. So soon after, Donald comes home and he sees an old lady in his house sitting on the couch. And she's claiming to be Judy. She's like, it's me, your wife. And he's like, yeah, right. What the fuck are you doing in my house? So... He starts to question her on things only Judy would know, and she answers all the questions correctly, and she explains to him that her body was stolen. I was going to say, have you ever, like, as an adult or as a child, thought about if that happened to you, what you would say to somebody to make them believe it's you? (laughs) Uh, no, but I'm sure I could come up with something. Yeah, yeah. I think about it often. (laughs) As you do. (laughs) So, you know, while this is going on, Donald receives a call from a friend who's at the train station. And he says that Judy's there and she's knocking back drinks and smoking and just being crazy. (gasps) Dang, because she's got that body working and she can have fun again because she's not decrepit. (laughs) That's right. Shit. She was a biker mama and she just had to figure it out, you know? (laughs) So Donald decides to lock, um, you know, Judy and the old lady body in the closet in their front hall, and he goes down to the train station. So he sees his wife or the body of his wife, and he sees her smoking, and he's, like, all hot by it. And she doesn't (laughs) recognize him, of course. So Donald confronts her, and he tricks her by saying, Judy, the cancer is spreading. And, like, she freaks out. Because, yeah, because she thinks like, oh, shit, I stole a body that's dying. Oh, no. So then her pendant starts to glow brightly while she's in the train station, and then they're switched back to her original body. So Donald and Judy drive home, and they come home to the old lady screaming in the closet because she's still locked in there. 
So they approach the closet, and of course, Donald has a gun. And he starts to, like, wildly shoot all over the room when he gets startled by the old lady screaming in the closet. And he shoots the old lady, and she dies. What an interesting plot element to have this guy be obsessed with guns and then do that. I know. Ew. (laughs) And he (sighs) is, like, stoked that he killed her. Oh, my God. He's a fucking psycho. And Judy is... She loves it. She's like, ooh, you're so hot. And they get to business. Yeah. They get to business. Well, it's implied. (laughs) It's really fucking weird. That's super weird. Well, nothing will talk your Tim Curry choice last time. (laughs) That's very true. (laughs) (laughs) I just remember watching it afterwards and being like, what the fuck? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it was a head scratcher for sure. (laughs) so later on donald's digging a hole in the basement and he puts the witch in it and buries her down there (gasps) judy is meanwhile upstairs admiring the necklace that she has placed in her safe and donald comes up and you know they talk together and explain that they've tried to destroy it but nothing has worked so they want to keep it locked up but judy wants to have it out because she wants to look at it she wants to admire it but donald's like no no, we got to keep it away. Mm. And Judy seems to be losing touch a bit. So it's then fast forward three months later. Judy and Donald are sleeping in bed, and Judy is having bad dreams, and she wakens suddenly. And then she slowly gets out of bed and walks over to the safe to get a look at the necklace, and it's glowing green. <gasps> Donald wakes up suddenly, and he's got these, like, silk tiger print pajamas. Ooh, that means you're sleazeball. Uh, yep. <laughs> Or he like sex. <laughs> and he had just had a nightmare. And so he asked Judy what she was doing, and she says she was cold. And Donald mentions that he wants to dig up the witch and bury her elsewhere because he feels like the nightmares will get better if he does that. And Judy says time will make things better. But Donald goes downstairs to get a glass of milk, and he stumbles on the risen, rotting corpse of the witch. Oh. She's like... Fun. Yeah, it's really gross. <laughs> Ooh, I bet it's I. I bet you I've seen like on Instagram or some of the accounts I follow like a shot from this one. Probably, like cool. she's got these fabulous clothes on and she's all rotten and gross. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so he's frantically searching for a gun as she slowly crawls toward him, and uh, Judy comes down and she's dressed in her like leaving him clothes. She's got, like, a blazer on and, like, a hat with a veil. Everybody's got a leaving him outfit. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the corpse claims that the bodies have been switched again and that she is actually Judy. So Donald looks to, uh, you know, young Judy, because we're not sure who is who now. He throws her the keys and he says, start the jag. (laughs) And uh, she's like, yes, my darling. And he goes, but first, grab my booty and tell me you love me. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, we don't have a jag yet. So <laughs> he shoots young Judy. But as she's dying, the bodies switch yet again. So the corpse is again the old woman. Bleeding and the real wild. Judy dies bleeding in his arms. No. And no, it's kind of sad. But like, he picks her up and cradles her. Seemingly lost without her. And then he, like, does some weird James Bond impression. 
and he cries, no, as he rocks her. And the episode ends. Maybe he's a toddler in a man's body. <laughs> Perhaps. He's maybe doing that's these weird impressions all maybe, throughout. Maybe that's a plot element we don't know about. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> that's really funny. So we get back to the Crypt Keeper, and he's got this, like, pistol. And he says, I still think diamonds are a girl's best friend. Oh, my God. You'll be glad to know that the witch gave up door-to-door sales and joined the Peace Corpse. Poor Donald. You can't really blame him. He was only trying to give his marriage a shot in the arm. And he shoots the gun. And in the leg, he shoots the gun. (laughs) And in the head, he shoots the gun. Sometimes I crack myself up. Until next time, kitties. Pleasant screams. Oh my god, he does crack himself up. Jesus Christ. (laughs) That is so funny. I know. Um, In the comic version, Donald seems to be a pretty sweet guy. He tells Judy not to answer the door for strangers as he leaves for work. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a different dynamic. They're not like these uppity, bougie people. Yeah. Um, So Judy answers the door to a poor lady who tells her she hasn't eaten in two days. So Judy goes in to get her purse. And when she turns around, the old lady is in the house. And she says she's been looking for a young body like hers. In this version, the old lady grabs her wrist, recites some incantations, and makes the switch. And then after this part, almost everything is exactly the same. Minus the horniness, of course. Okay, because it's, yeah. Yeah. They were were struggling just to have horror, not not sexy time. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. Yep. So that was Judy, You're Not Yourself Today. Yay. That was beautiful. Yeah, it's a fun one. I would recommend it. Yeah, I can't wait to watch it. I, I especially can't wait to see these outfits. Oh, yeah. And the the jewels. Yes. <laughs> well, I guess um, I'll get I'll get mine going. Yeah. Um, okay, so I have watched a lot of Tales from the Crypts, but I couldn't remember anything that I specifically wanted to talk about for some reason. Yeah. They kind of like all meld together and it's just been over many many years and stuff Mm -hmm. like that but the one i did remember was um this one called you murderer and i remembered it because they employed that face swapping thing or face injecting thing that a cg that they they developed in the 90s yeah and it was like you know state of the art never had been done before and it's like the deep fake thing now Right. Kind of thing. But I remember thinking like, oh, that looks like shit, you know, <laughs> even when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah. But um, so yeah, I'll, I'll talk about it more. But there's a very interesting history behind it. And oh, OK. Um, cool. Yeah. So this is uh, from season six, episode 15. Uh, it aired in 1995. Um, okay. So it was directed by uh, the, the director of Forrest Gump. Oh, I had no idea. Cause interesting. Because I, I thought to myself, like, oh, well, they must have seen Forrest Gump and then tried to use the same technology, get the same people. No, same director. What? What's his name? Let me look at his name. Hold on one sec. What the fuck? Robert Zemeckis. Zemeckis, yeah. Yes. He, was, he was huge in Tales from the Crypt. He was actually oh, one of the... Oh, did he? Yeah. Oh, He's that, one of yeah. the dudes that, that got it off the ground and... 
Yeah. I think I think I remember that from the um like shockumentary and all the little like featurettes that they did. Yeah. Talking about it. Yeah, but his yeah. name is all over Tales from the Crypt. That's so cool. Well anyway, yeah. um two months later he wins the Oscar for um Forrest Gump. And wow. so the episode um starts out with the, the Crypt Keeper and he mm-hmm. is it's the feather coming down like in Forrest Gump and he's God. Dressed as Forrest Gump. And I had seen this clip before, like, on Instagram, and I was like, what the fuck? The Crypt Keeper did Forrest Gump? Like, why the hell did that happen? And his his monologue, I don't have it all, all, That's all, all right. um, written out, but, oh, my God, he says things like, he's a uh, Fearest Gump is his name. <laughs> oh, and by the way, um, they do the face insertion with Hitchcock, and he's sitting right next to him, listening to him. Oh, whoa. And he offers Hitchcock some chocolates, <laughs> which are <laughs> eyeballs and fingers and bugs and stuff. Of course. <laughs> and he says things like, uh, Mother always says, scary is as scary does. Oh, man. <laughs> Anyway, so that is a great start off. Just, just and he's got the little buzz cut, but it's all fucked up, like <laughs> a gross, like patchy, because he's oh the crib keeper. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> so anyway, I, I, so I, another reason I chose this is I remember it being specifically like bizarre and uncanny valley in yeah. not only the the um, attempt to do this insertion, but also the way it was shot. Because it, okay. it, it's all from the main character's perspective. Oh, interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so they have both a live action actor doing the, the brief moments because you only ever see the main character, which, by the way, is Humphrey Bogart's face. Hmm. And, he, and he's also like credited in the episode, Humphrey Bogart, for being, after being dead for like 40 years. What the fuck? Yeah. Okay. So it's it's an actor doing the voice and everything, and he's only ever seen um, when he looks in a mirror or his oh. reflection. Cool. So it's kind of like a, a serial killer cam or slasher cam. Totally. And okay. like it, it's like definitely paying like a lot of respect and like um, referencing you know film noir in general, like what you know he was really famous for, what the Maltese Falcon and like different movies like that. Yeah. Um, and film noir is one of the best genres because they really play with shadows and negative space and like angles and all things to create like tension or fear or a lot of foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. It's really amazing. Film noir rules. Anyway, so Bogey starts out and his monologue, he's talking to me, he's like, well, I'm dead. I'm dead already. Um, but there's no like white light or anything, but here's my story. Yeah. And he was murdered. He's like, first off, I was murdered. And it starts off and he's in a boardroom with a bunch of people and they're going over a new like ad campaign. Okay. For like sheep or something or like some kind of, I don't know. They're for, for some reason, it's it's like sheep and goats. And it's a, <laughs> it's it's just a picture of a goat and, or yeah, a picture of a goat or sheep. And it's like, here's looking at you, kid. And it's spelled like you as in the animal kind of thing. Oh my god. Yeah, it's pretty bad. And <laughs> but there's celebrities of course in this and the um what's her name? Sherilyn Fenn was in this first one. She's from Twin Peaks. She was like the really, really hot one, but who was kind of oh, mischievous. Okay. 
She's super, mm-hmm. like amazing eyebrows, like the best eyebrows you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> and like a little like beauty mark. Boop. Anyway. She's yeah. Beautiful. And so he's going through this board meeting. He's like, he's like, oh yeah, this is such a good campaign. But he's, I can't even begin to do Bogey's voice. But anyway, so he gets a phone call in the middle of the board meeting and he answers it. And it's John Lithgow's character, Oscar, who is a plastic surgeon. And he is talking to him about this plastic surgery, this procedure that was done to make Humphrey Bogart's character look like Humphrey Bogart. I guess he was like a criminal. They don't really say what he did, but they they do the old face-off kind of thing with like Nick Cage and shit. And so... His, his wife, who is Isabella Rossellini, finds out oh. that, that he's a, a phony and he's gonna, she's oh, going to go to the police. So she calls and tells him that he's, you know, she's like, I'm going to call the police right now. I know you're a criminal. And John Lithgow's like, all right, well, let's meet. We have to talk about this because we're both going down kind of thing. Yeah. And so Bogey goes there and he goes to meet with John Lithgow, Oscar's character. And they're yeah. talking about... Um, his wife, Isabella Rossellini, talking about going to the police. And he's like, well, we have to kill her. And yeah. Bogey's like, what? I can't do that. I'm not a murderer. You know, I got this <laughs> surgery to try to get away from all that crime. And <laughs> see, Lithgow's very persuasive. I mean, it's it's John Lithgow. You've got to yeah. listen. Yeah, of course. Smooth talking. Smooth talking. So they make the decision. John Lithgow's like, I know a guy, you know, just go home tonight and it'll be taken care of kind of thing. Yeah. And so he goes home and uh, he's like really upset about it. And he's like expecting to find her body or like them making it look like it was a suicide or something. And he goes into his beautiful like loft apartment, which they love in Tales from the Crypt for some reason. There's always a loft with like a piano <laughs> and do. lots of statues and shit. You're right. <laughs> love it. <laughs> Anyway, so he goes in and he's looking around for his wife and he sees John Lithgow on the floor, dead. And he's like, this isn't what's supposed to happen. And so he goes up to him to try to like check his pulse and John Lithgow pops up with a gun. Dubby crossed. Double crossed. Dubby crossed. And and then Isabella Rossellini's character, who is dressed up like her mother, Ingrid Bergman from like Casablanca and like that kind of thing. Uh, she looks just like her. She's just wow. beautiful. Um, mm-hmm. She's all like, that's right. We've been having an affair the whole time. I know about your plot to murder me. Now it's time to fix you. <laughs> <laughs> and then they like make out and it's gross because it's John Lookout. But, you know, I'm sure somebody <laughs> likes it. <laughs> By the way, Isabel Rossellini was 42 at the time and she was a smoke show beautiful i know it's i mean death becomes her she was in that right dude i'm actually thinking about doing that costume for halloween like doing my hair like that i love it but it's a lot it's a lot of it's booby town it's only a lot of booby town but yeah just a lot of tape a lot of tape but oh my god her character like that's one of the most iconic character designs i can think of yeah and i love her character where she's just like very like sensual but really evil at the same time she's yeah. so good at yelling at people so over the top God, it's great if i were a rich man i'd pay isabella rossellini to yell at me <laughs> <laughs> anyway i digress so okay so they want to make it look like a suicide 
you know, oh, because they, of course. she's like, we don't need the million dollars I'll inherit, but I'd really like it kind of thing. But then he's, <laughs> it would be cool. It would be cool. But Bogey's like, well, if I commit suicide, you're not getting that money. And she's like, oh, whatever. Well, we'll do it anyway. And <laughs> they give him poison to drink. And he, you see his reflection again in the flask. And you also see Isabella Rossellini walking away at the same time. It's like this oh. really cool shot. And he's thinking to himself, he's like, I'd rather be shot than be poisoned. Like, that sounds painful. Yeah. So he's like, he's like, I don't think you've got the guts to do it. And he's like, throws it. he's like, I'm not drinking this. And <laughs> John Lithgow goes up to like shoot him. And I guess like, Bogey, Bogey tackles him. And there, of course, oh. it's in a in a glass table, so you can see his reflection again, just like talking and yelling at John Lithgow. And uh, Isabella Rossellini hears the commotion and knocks him over the head with a giant abstract sculpture. Oh, of course. And kills him. He's dead now. Oh, wow. And so it's yeah. all his perspective of being dead and seeing what's going on. And oh, whoa. It's it's pretty interesting. And then it gets it gets gross because it's Tales from the Crypt, so you hear all of the fissures and the ligaments and all the blood, like, just, like, oozing and being gross while they're moving him mm. around and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. He says, somebody says, here's looking at you, kid. And then, like, I think that's the last thing they say before they kill him. And it's just like, oh, Casablanca, nice yeah <laughs> there's a couple references to Casablanca in this but I'm sure that, that was one of them they had to sneak that in there it was yeah. like it was like play the hits like kind of thing yeah it is season six so yeah you know yeah <laughs> so they're like shit this guy's head is fucked up nobody's ever gonna believe that this was a suicide, a suicide. We're, we're in big trouble and you know, they're talking about how the cops will see that there's, like, nipple imprints from the statue that he got knocked in the head because the statue had boobs. <laughs> and that was pretty funny. It's a good joke. Then Isabella Rossellini says, because I forget her character's name, but who gives a shit? And, <laughs> but she says, we'll just make him disappear. Like, if they don't find a body, you know, it'll be, it'll be fine. And Judd Lutz goes, yeah. like, you're brilliant. And, like, they go, mm, kissy again. You're like, ew. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Then all of a sudden, they hear the doorbell ring. And they're like, shit. So they stuff him in a closet. And the closet has Mm -hmm. a mirror, so you can see him all dead in the closet. And you hear his, like, shit being gross and stuff like that. (laughs) The crickety crackiness of of being dead. Yeah. It's the assistant from earlier. um, Oh. Ben. The killer eyebrows. Yes. Ah. Killer eyebrows. And her name's Erica, and she comes oh. to kind of check on things because, you know, earlier it was weird. The phone call was weird and stuff like that. And she kind of figures out what's going on, like, as they're talking. And I, I think they, like, knock her out, too. Oh, yep. Yep. So she can't help anymore. But, I mean, what could she help? He's dead. So it's fine. Yeah, it's very true. Anyway. What are you going to do? Yes. So... About this time, the body falls out of the closet, and you hear, like, <laughs> his spine breaking kind of thing. Like, it's real, oh. real intense. He's just falling apart. He's just falling apart. I mean, I guess she gave him a real good beating. Who knows? I, yeah. I mean, his face is looking good, but we're not seeing the back, so I don't know what that story's like. Yeah. Okay. So, they're looking at him, and they're like, oh, my God, this is a mess. Like, oh, and it's a really interesting camera angle, because it's, like, you know, them talking, and just really gross angles and stuff like that. Yeah. 
And all of a sudden, seemingly randomly, she she says a line from Casablanca again, and she's all like, ah, give me a kiss. You have to do the thinking for both of us now. And like gets a kiss again, and you're like, oh, could you stop with the kisses? <laughs> yeah. The fuck, lady? Oh. oh, and then, okay. So they do a series of flashbacks about Bogey having an affair with this assistant. And Rosalini's character is like, even though she's been cheating on him, she's like, how could he kind of thing. And again, it's another mirror shot where it's like Erica talking to him and like telling him he's great in bed. And he's just all like soaking cigarettes. And it's just like creepy, uncanny (laughs) valley. And then he has another flashback where (laughs) Isabella Rossellini's character is like, she's like, I'm going to leave you. How does that sound? And she's wearing like her Casablanca sun hat and like never takes it off and went in lingerie. It was really bizarre. <laughs> They're like, we can't, we can't take it off. Like the, the, the wig is, is not, it, it got glued or something. We got to keep the hat on. <laughs> so that happens. And he's just like, well, son of a gun. God damn. Can't believe I've been dubby trippy crossied. Yeah. Yeah. So they drive him out to, you know, the Hollywood Hills or something, and Isabel Rossellini's digging a grave for him really fast. I mean, and she's dressed up to the nines, and she's digging a grave yeah. fast, and it's really remarkable. Um, and John Lithgow's <laughs> mostly just, like, being like, yay, baby, good job. Wow, <laughs> just, just standing just on standing the side, there. huh? And then they're, they're continually arguing about how the police are going to find them, like how... They've, they've gotten away with it. And then yeah. uh, Erica pops up from the backseat. She's alive. And she had snuck into the car. God. Yes. And she's like, all right, I'm going to take you to the fucking police. This is bullshit. And she pulls out a real, and this is like 1994. So she pulls out one of those time travel cell phones, you know, the the ones that are like the black box when a, when a fucking plane crashes. Oh, yes, sure. That kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> but of course, the reception's bad. She's in the hills. And it's, you know, yep. a black box. Like, she, she's doing her best. Goddamn AT&T. AT&T. And so, um, <laughs> uh, Rossellini, uh, while she's on the phone, being like, hello, hello, like, looking away like an idiot. And and Bogey's yeah. dead body's calling her an idiot, which is not very nice. Uh, Rossellini <laughs> shoots her and, like, goes right through her chest. Oh, shit. But what happened is the bullet went through the windshield and then severed Bogey's spine somehow, which he tells the viewers that that's what happens. Okay. And his body shifts over and puts the car into drive and runs over both John Lithgow and Rossellini in their grave. <laughs> One and done. It was wow. great. Wow. What a twist of fate. What a twist. And so the last shot is him <laughs> with like looking in the side mirror, just dead kind of thing. Like, good job. That's really weird. It was weird. <laughs> and it's uh it's slightly uncomfortable all of it. But yeah. it's good. It's interesting. They keep that tried and true cheesiness like Tales from the Crypt like nobody's business. It's so good. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm definitely gonna have to check yeah. it out. It's a mess. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> but um the interesting thing I learned after this, uh unfortunately I couldn't really access 
the original comics so well. Like, I guess I just was having trouble oh. with pop-ups and stuff like that. Like, lots of yeah. porno pop-ups, and I'm like, oh, no, I'm going to get a virus. Wow, yeah. Yeah, it was crazy. But I did find some um, stills from, like, I guess this one had been auctioned off before. So, yeah, so the stills are quite valuable. And what I noticed that was consistent is it's one of the first comics, like graphic comics ever, to be from the character's perspective as well. So they did that kind of thing. Oh, so you see him looking at a bridge and then looking at his feet and stuff, like right in the beginning of it. Oh, wow. Which is super cool. And I found this really cool a abstract about a chapter in this book called... From Caligari to Wortham, mm-hmm. when EC horror comics feared for their own survival. And this comic is, I think, like, Suspense and Shock, issue four- 14. Yeah. Shock, Suspense yes. stories. Yes, and it was, like, in their attempt to kind of move away from horror to save save EC comics from, like, being taken out. Yeah. Yeah, it yeah. was that beatdown that we talked about before, like legally and mm-hmm. all that. So it was, of course, their attempt to do that. And I'm sure there may not be a lot of them out there, maybe. Maybe that's why they're kind of worth something now. Yeah, I mean, plus they're like 70 years old at this point. Yes, absolutely. So, yeah. But, um, yeah, so this is this is a quote from, from this uh, abstract is, you Murderer, which is the episode and the, the comic name. Shock Suspense Stories, number 14, by Otto Binder and Bernie Krigstein. Reworked the German expressionist film Captain of Dr. Caligari, technically and visually placing the reader in the position of the victim of a hypnotism manipulated into killing a man falsely, accused of being a communist. It huh. sounds pretty rad. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, and like the minute they said Dr. Caligari, like, I I went back, I'm like, because I love that movie, you know, I've talked about silent film a lot, yeah. I love German Expressionism, and I was like, how does that relate to the plot of Caligari, but I suppose the main character is like under Dr. Caligari's control and like kills and things like that, it's kind of, yeah. it's kind of like a little bit of a rabbit hole, like kind of like not very connected when you compare the two but it makes sense right but it was just so fascinating that that's that's what they did and then I thought about it a little bit more and it's like film noir really borrows from silent film and German expressionism with cast shadows and really rigid lines and things like that so it was just a really great callback not only in like in in horror writing but in film and I thought that that was really lovely about that episode that is really cool and i was like i was like no way <laughs> but yeah I, it, it was interesting because they they said um there weren't very many famous ones from the um shock suspense stories but they all were deeply intentional like they all really tried to write like the best story that they could yeah yeah that's really awesome isn't that cool Sorry, yeah. I like totally butchered the whole episode, but it's oh no 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 not at all. Okay, it was it was really really great though. Like, and I want to read. I think that that book sounds excellent. And the uh, author is Rui Lopez, from Caligari to Wertham. Okay, it's about silent film. It's about it's about the the um the end of EC Comics and what they were trying to do to save it. 
Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Sorry, I missed missed that for some reason. Oh, no, that's okay. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. I'm definitely have to check that episode out. And mm-hmm. That book sounds really interesting, too. For sure. And it just came out. It's from 2022. Oh, no kidding. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah, that's a nice to have an updated perspective on all that stuff, because, you know, you could read things from, like, the 80s and the 90s, but, like, things have changed so much and in, in a lot of like public perceptions of things. So yeah, it's nice to have a, a really fresh perspective on it. Did I have a runner up though? I mean, I always want to talk about the Christmas one. We talked about that before. Oh, I know. Yeah. That one is the best. It's so good. And then there's one about like some sex crazy, like demon woman thing. That was, that's always a good one. She gets a really scary makeup, but. Oh yeah. Is it the one? In, like, the weird abandoned, like, apartment? Yes. Yes. I remember that one clearly from when I was mm-hmm, younger. Mm-hmm. I was considering doing television terror. Oh, that's right. But, yeah, it was just, it was insane. It was, like, breakneck speed pace. And it was, like, I felt like if I was going to be talking about it, it was going to be, like, and then this happens, and then this happens, and then that. It, it was that, like, classic trope of, like, a television personality goes into a supposedly haunted house to stay oh, there overnight and yes, broadcast it. I did see that one. Yeah. it's That one's silly as hell. Oh, and the main character is awful. <laughs> yeah. Very strange episode. The pace was was really off-putting, I felt yeah, like. Yeah, I remember that too, for sure. But I do remember it from when I was a kid, so, I mean, made an impression, I guess. It must but have been scary. I thought it was scary as an adult, kind of. It's like haunted house paranormal activity, and it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, I gotta watch more. Yeah, we've, we've all heard that story before. I mean, I've heard it on radio shows from back in the day. You know, this oh. episode, Oh yeah, there's been lots of adaptations of that same story. It's so fun. You know, I, know. I really, uh, it's nice because a lot of like early 2000s um, horror is kind of being like brought back to life or like people are really like watching it and interested in it again. One that I think of that scared the tar out of me was uh, the remake of House on Haunted Hill. Damn. That scared the shit out of me i know i know have you watched it recently no and i'm scared too but i bet it's gonna be so bad it is hilarious really is it just like a manson music video at that point pretty much yeah <laughs> yeah it's just scary imagery over here scary imagery over there Ooh. oh my god i might watch it tonight oh but it's it... scary <laughs> it's funny okay i know i thought it was I just always, uh, when I was a kid, the, the head shaking thing that they always used to do, like from Jacob's Ladder. Oh, no, no, no. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you can get past like that kind of stuff, it's it's pretty hilarious. It's a, it's a fucking sick ass soundtrack. Oh, you know it. Dude. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Sign me up. Yeah. I was just watching Nine Inch Nails Perfect Drug video and I was like, this is just... Can I take a vacation in this world, please? Can I? I know. Please. It's a great video. Yes. And and Trent Reznor, just as he is. Mm. Yeah. Will he be there looking like that? Is it, Does he like in one of those drawers? Has he got those latex gloves or what's going on with that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, all right. <laughs> My face is getting hot. I know. Lord <laughs> Jesus, there's a fire. <laughs> <laughs> well you have anything else no i i just uh again so much fun i'm so sorry for not being prepared a little bit better oh, no no you're I'm, fine i'm terrible with that but it was it was really fun to to watch that and and kind of get like 60 percent ready sorry <laughs> i mean it doesn't you know mm-hmm. it doesn't need much yes yes <laughs> Well, we'll do socials then. You can follow us on Facebook at Under the Pendulum Podcast, Instagram at Under Pendulum Podcast, Twitter, Pendulum underscore pod. And you can find all our episodes on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, the iHeartRadio app, or almost anywhere else you listen to your pods. Woo! (laughs) Good job. Thank you. And then you can find me... On Facebook, Heather Thomas, Instagram, h.n.thomas, Twitter at Heather W. Thomas, and my narrations on all the stuff. Give him a listen, you guys. It's awesome. Heather's very, very, very talented. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> and you can find me on Instagram under Frothy Star Dog. Excellent. Well, kitties, thank you for joining us. Have a pleasant scream. <laughs> screaming <laughs> 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 <laughs>